Hello and welcome to Malanga Talk podcast. My name is Jerry Malanga and I'm joined with our fellow Dr. Josh Martin and we're here to give another educational talk for our future physicians. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so we are discussing hyaluronic acid viscosupplement injection lubricating shots as they're all known. So, um, and in the treatment of, we're gonna stick with knee osteoarthritis and we're just gonna talk about some general ideas. First, uh, we're gonna talk about whether hyaluronic acid, as, as we commonly call it, is it an acid? Is it an acid? Although it's in the name, not technically. Right, Why? Like, because why? When acids you usually think of, whether there could be that hydrogen that can come off and on. Right. And that's not really the situation that you have Correct. in molecular structure. Correct. So right off the bat, we call things improperly hyaluronic acid. It's not an acid. It's more properly referred to as a hyaluronin. And chemically, what does it look like? What, what are the constituents of supplement injection, hyaluronins? What, what is it? I'll often think of like some long chains that include carbon. What you'd often see within um, the synovium, almost like a biological WD-40 kind of yeah. composition, usually long chains, Correct. typically. Right, anything else anybody have to ask? I would say it probably consists of linear cross-linked okay. polypeptides. Right, so they're, they're uh, multi-chain polypeptides with cross-linkages. And so, and what, what is the purpose of that uh, microcellular, why is it like that, and what is the purpose of synovial fluid in general? So there's some um, mechanical cushioning um, that you have specifically with these compounds. Um, there is a little bit of um, some like water content that can be right. So that's as well. that's it. It captures water, right? So that provides. And why would that be good? In terms of helps fill with the volume and shock absorption as well. Correct. So it creates a buoyancy, a shock absorbency. So what are the two main purposes of synovial fluid? Uh, and maybe specifically uh, hyaluronin in synovial fluid or synovial fluid. What's what's the the two main purposes? So we do think of um, for at least one of them in terms of kind of that lubrication effect, allowing things to slide a little bit more. Correct, easily. reducing coefficient of friction between the two large bones to allow for a gliding. Yep. And then what else? And then I think. Um, this would probably be considered separate, but also the shock absorption itself spreading out the forces. Excellent, correct. A cushioning effect or shock absorbency effect. In fact, those are, have to be cross-balanced because um, too much cushioning or too much of that would reduce uh, or increase the frictional forces, which you don't want. Too much reduction in frictional forces or loss of that would not allow for adequate cushioning. Uh, or shock absorbance. So our fluids then have to have that proper balance of the two so that it, in a normal situation, then we have um, that occur. So then in an arthritic knee, what happens to the synovial fluid and why does that happen? So the composition of the fluid itself does change. Um, you can have some inflammatory cells. Um, you can have 
the viscosity of it does change a little bit based on Correct. what is in entering the name. Correct. So it's an altered structure. It's yeah. not the same. May not even have the same molecular weight and certainly does not have the same capabilities in terms of the two main things we talked about, absorbing forces and reducing friction. Thus, the, comp the hyaluronins or hyaluronic acids or the uh, viscosupplement injections were developed to recreate that, right? And they were developed um, several decades ago. Halligan was probably the first one that came out. So, and so the products to try to restore a normal joint came out as to provide cushioning and gliding, right? So the first one was Halligan, and that Halligan has a molecular weight of what? Oh. Frank. Frank's looked up all the molecular weights of the compounds that are, are various products, right? That's right. So Halligan has 500 to 730 kilodaltons in molecular weight. So the, the class of hyaluronins are, are classified as low molecular weight, middle, and high. So what are the, how is that classification done, Frank? So uh, low molecular weight consists of 400 to 1,000 kilodaltons. Middle molecular weight is 1,000 to 1,800 kilodaltons. And high molecular weight is anything above 1,800 kilodaltons. Great. And normal synovial fluid is? 2,500 to 7,000 kilodaltons. Okay. So. Very high. Very high. <laughs> Higher than these other compounds. So Halligan came out. When I was probably a resident, um, it was being used. It required five injections, so a week apart. And, you know, five shots, make sure that was before ultrasound was around. So palpation guidance could be done. Uh, but if you had a heavy person, altered anatomy person, a bit of a challenge. Um, then a short time after that, um, Synvisc came out. Synvisc as a series of three, one a week for three. So maybe a little bit more attractive, less number of shots. And what are the molecular weight capabilities or, or um, findings of Halligan versus Synvisc? Uh, Halligan being from 500 to 730 kilodaltons versus Synvisc, which is 6,000 kilodaltons. Correct. And, and Frank has nicely created a chart for all of us to have. So we can put that up and then we can know. But so Synvisc, much higher molecular weight. And the other interesting thing is a lot of this was tried out in animals, horses, dogs, mostly horses, equine medicine. Equine medicine was ahead of human medicine at one point in this area. So equine medicine used glucosamine and chondroitin a decade before it was even thought of using in humans. These products were used at least five years, probably 10 years before it was used in the human models. Um, so Synvisc comes out and Synvisc talk, talks about, it's got a higher molecular weight, less number of injections, and actually quickly took over the market. So Synvisc actually became a very popular injection and still is a very popular injection. Um, so when you, and, and then since that time, there are probably 10 other products that have come out and we'll talk about a few of them maybe. Um, but you know, the, the, the products then, you gotta have to be aware of their molecular weight because over time we've come to understand that molecular weight is an important factor. And when the reps would come around, they would discuss various reasons for using a low molecular weight, 
a high molecular weight, molecular weight that's similar to normal synovial fluid, and that's, that's how they would try to promote their product over another product. Meanwhile, there was never any head-to-head, -head, even though that could have occurred for decades of one product versus another. They, they were hesitant, as most pharma companies are, to go head-to-head. -head. Um, and so the other things, in addition to molecular weight, um, Frank, that you've uh, helped us out with, what are other important factors to be aware of when we're talking about the HAs? The source. So, All right. uh, with these different HAs that are either synthesized or sourced from avian birds, there's a slight variation in their, their chemical composition. So you either find them from the um, plume on the top of a rooster's head. Yep, rooster queen. Yeah. And uh, through biological fermentation, bacteria can create the, uh, the HA. Right. So... Um, Synvisc is avian, right? Synvisc uh, is avian, yeah. As is halogen. Synvisc, though, at one point had some admixtures in it. Um, and I believe my recollection was that a very small amount of formaldehyde to maintain it. And what happened over time was that a certain small percentage of people began having these rapid effusions of their knees. Often it was after they would have, let's say, one successful round, and then the second round they would get a shot and their knee would blow up like a balloon. Everyone would be really scared that they have a knee infection. And uh, over time, we began to understand and, and, and note that these were pseudo-infections, right, a reaction to some components within the product. Um, and so the treatment regimen for that would be to bring the patient back in, aspirate the fluid, make sure that it's not infected, and then deliver a corticosteroid injection, sort of reversing the whole rationale of going down this path. Um, other comp and it was perhaps a bit more prominent in Synvisc than in the other products. So the other companies took advantage of that in terms of marketing and saying, well, we never have pseudoseptic infection. We're more natural, we're gentle, whatever it might be. And the fact of the matter is that there probably is truth to that, right? The last thing a physician would want is for their patient to have an acutely swollen, painful knee, come back to the office, make sure it's not infected, send it off for analysis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, after about almost a decade of using Synvisc as a single injection uh, once a week for three weeks, they came out and said, oh, guess what? You could give it all as a single shot, six mLs, and it works as well as the three shots. Why they couldn't have figured that out a decade before and worked that out a decade before would have saved a lot of people repeat number of injections, office visits, and perhaps the healthcare system a fair amount of money as well. Um, and so now we have products that are one a week for three weeks. Um, there are a few of those still out there. Uh, Euflexa is one of that. Um, Orthovisc is another. Um, Synvisc as a single shot or one a week for three weeks. Um, and then Halligan now says that you could do three, but maybe you can do five. You could save two, see what happens. Um, I'm not sure how a clinician would want to manage that or why that makes any sense, especially since Halligan has the, the very lowest molecular weight of all the products. So over time, the value of these products were first 
like very exuberant and embraced and like this is great and patients would talk about how great they were then that exuberance waned a bit and then it was like yeah it works okay for some not for others the medical literature showed a favorability in some studies uh, lack of efficacy compared to placebo in other studies um, and then several years ago the orthopedic academy produced is about a 600 page document uh, regarding treatments for knee osteoarthritis, including the visco supplement injections, and essentially said that they could not endorse these injections because based on their sophisticated statistical analysis, they really found it uh, not more beneficial than placebo. Um, and that raised a whole kind of just kind of craziness because the general membership were commonly using the product um, the companies making the product certainly didn't want that coming out. Some insurance carriers actually stopped covering it. Um, and so now we've been trying to right the ship. And probably the problem has been, as in all areas of medicine, as in PRP, is that it depends on what the product is. And it's, there's now some clarity that the higher molecular weight HAs for low grades of osteoarthritis are clearly more beneficial and have benefit um, lasting approximately six months. Um, that the low molecular rate really don't have any benefit greater than placebo, so probably not indicated. That they're not really indicated in patients who have severe osteoarthritis and maybe questionably, you know, the grades three, moderate, severe. And so we shouldn't be offering these types of injections in people that have no, no likelihood of benefit. And again, no, sim, no, not dissimilar to what our discussions would be for PRP, right? PRP, also studied in various patient population, also somewhat limited because of a lack of appropriate dosing in many studies, appropriate description of what is the dose, when at least now at this point, we know that you should have at least two million platelets per microliter, uh, that you should have no RBCs in the product, that you should have virtually zero or a very reduced number of leukocytes, in particular neutrophils. Um, and that, that, if you use that type of a PRP, again, for mild to moderate NEOA, that it is superior to placebo, is superior to corticosteroid injections, and superior to HA injection, lasting about a year in looking at multiple meta-analyses and sub-meta-analyses and really good um, sum summary of the literature. So uh, I'm not even sure why, you know, there are even arguments on this topic. And in fact, some of the editorials that have come out in Journal of Arthroscopy, American Journal of Sports Medicine have said, listen, we got to, at this point, this is a product that has efficacy, proven efficacy in science. Um, so then the question is where, at this point, do HAs fit in, in the, in the algorithm of non-operative treatment uh, of osteoarthritis? Um, and we have our osteoarthritis treatment strategy form that we go over with patients. And in that form, we go through everything from, you know, weight loss, exercise, vitamin supplements, bracing, and various injections. And HAs are part of that way before we start talking about things that are out-of-pocket costs like PRP 
um, and other cellular procedures out of posterior bone marrow. So the other interesting thing, okay, so we, we started a lot of this discussion because I always ask you guys lots of questions. So one of the questions I asked is, and, and patients are told, well, it's a, it's a lubricating thing, it's a cushioning thing, but how long after you inject the substance does it stay resident in the knee? So you inject your synvisc, how long is that injection in the knee joint? 26 hours. 26 hours. Yeah, most studies would say less than 72 hours. So when I told a patient that recently, she was kind of dumbfounded because she thought, wow, I, was get, I thought I was getting something that was cushioning my knee and it was gonna last in there for six months. So if it is only resident in the knee for less than 72 hours, then how does it provide its effects? What, what does it do? Gloria. Uh, the biochemical, um, uh, it stimulates the cells, the synvisc, to create a thicker kind of synovial fluid again. Right, so it's a signal to the synovial cells mm -hmm. to produce a more normal slash robust synovial fluid, mm -hmm. similar to what a normal knee joint would have. Whether it ever gets to that same level of a normal knee joint, a non-arthritic joint, um, it probably doesn't, but it gets closer, and it is one of the reasons why people feel better. And it, it does provide uh, cushioning, right? Because we said it's normal synovial fluid, that's what it does, but it's not because of the product in the knee joint. In fact, what's really interesting uh, within all these products is that for FDA approval, they're not approved as a drug. They're approved as a device, which is a different FDA pathway, an easier FDA pathway in terms of what you need to do to, to get it approved. Um, and so a device makes it very interesting how they got it approved as a device. It has something to do with the description of the submolecular mesh, right? So it's saying that we create this device mesh in the knee joint for cushioning and, and lubrication. Um, the other thing that's interesting from a basic science, regenerative medicine, orthobiologic point of view, it is also a stimulant for resident chondrocytes and for resident stem cells. So for CD34 positive cells uh, to be more active. So again, signaling. Um, and again, when we think about Arnold Kaplan's new description of MSCs, not medicinal stem cells, but medicinal uh, or mesenchymal stem cells, but medicinal signaling cells, that those cells release signals to the tissue to uh, lay down and uh, more tissue and to improve the milieu of the knee joint. And HA does that a, a little bit. Um, the other thing about HAs is that there's some interesting basic science studies that show that mixing HA with bone marrow cells, that that becomes a rich environment for chondrogenesis. That's at least in a lab petri dish environment. So people have played with, well, if it works there, why don't we do it in a knee joint? Um, so the literature would not support that. And so there, at least at the same time, for sure. 
Uh, there are people that say, well, you can overwhelm the system with too many things, you know, overwhelm the receptors, and instead of getting a positive effect, you can actually get a negative effect. Um, and so that's some of the theories as to why you wouldn't do it and why it hasn't worked. Um, there are people who talk about staging it, and we've talked about that as well, is let's, let's work on one mechanism to support the joint through that pathway of synovial fluid, and then let's use other cells or, or PRP to support it or change the environment in other ways. And we are now understand osteoarthritis of a joint as a multi-center process. It's not just the cartilage. It's not just the subchondral bone, which is uh, recognized. It's that, the synovial cells, the synovial tissue, the surrounding tissues, all the different cellular components, the resident MSCs that are there, and um, again, the chondrocytes for sure, and the subchondral bone as well. So if you're going to treat the joint environment holistically, then you're going to try to figure out how to positively trigger or signal all those different tissues uh, that are in the joint. So that was, that was good, especially to talk about the mechanism. Um, I think that's something that's often very commonly misunderstood, especially during residency when people are talking about, oh, these are the lubricating shot. Yeah. And then so, explain to patients as well, they don't understand the extra part. I asked Gloria if she would ask, if she asked her fellow resident, how many of them would say, would know that they're only in the knee joint for less than three days? And she said, probably none. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So most of the residents and fellows would believe that it's sitting in there doing something for four to six months, right? And if you step back and take, um, think about, when we counsel patients about it, we usually tell them, especially with a series of shots, it's not going to be, you know, after the first shot or the second, may take some time. Correct. So if it was just physically the mechanical substance you put in, that wouldn't make sense because you'd expect an immediate result. Mm -hmm. Excellent point, and I'm glad you brought that up. That is right. That is what you should be aware of. That is what you should counsel patients on, and that is what the, the mechanism of action and the known action of the substances is that it does actually take several weeks after the third, if it's a series of three, injections before that the effects occur, before that signal change occur. And so there is this delayed response and that, that same type of delayed response is very similar to what we see when we use our biologics, when we use our orthobiologic agents. And very different than many people want, very different from cortisone, which is this, I, very quickly, within a couple of days, something's happening, I feel great. And patients, I believe, have been conditioned to expect that, um, but if they're counseled and, and they understand the process, then I think they're less disappointed, they understand what needs to happen, and potentially their outcomes are, are better as well. So uh, it's also very interesting. And quite frankly, that's the way nature works as well. I mean, um, if you're trying to grow a tomato plant, right, you put a seed in the ground, you don't go back the next day and say, well, that didn't work, you know, there's no tomatoes on that thing. And even, you know, a month later you see some green things coming up, but you don't have any tomatoes off of that plant, it's going to take you till July, um, a few months later before you're actually picking tomatoes. So in the meantime, though, you know, um, that's the other like important factor in a sports medicine patient and all these patients. It's not like you sit there and do nothing. 
during that time frame. There's so many other things that can be done that actively will contribute, um, just like you would with your tomato plant as well. You water it, you fertilize it, you, you put a stake on it, you, you protect it from the squirrels. And so the same, um, and in rehabilitation, we are aware of all the secondary things that occur um, negatively, you know, joint contractures, muscle weaknesses, altered gait mechanics, um, that you start working on. And it not only um, is helpful in and of themselves, it enhances what you did as an injectable agent. It's like physical therapy important to have these patients do. Correct. Yeah, yeah, all the all the other things, right? I mean, okay, so we think about that it's serving as a cushioning. Um, wouldn't it be a lot less stressful to that cushioning device if the person had 20 pounds less on that? And we, you know, when we talk to patients, we talk about that every step is two and a half times your body weight through that. So if you lost even 10 pounds, that's 25 pounds every step. If you take a thousand steps, that's 25,000 pounds every day that you've offloaded that joint. Isn't that a nice thing to be able to do to support the health of that joint? At the same time, supporting the muscular support of the joint, right, which acts to absorb the forces in a dynamic manner and control the forces that go through the joint, wouldn't that be a great idea as well? So that combination of simple things, right, almost zero dollars and zero cents, lose some weight, do some exercise, build some muscle mass, your HA, your PRP, your other injections will do a lot better. In addition to controlling systemic inflammation and all the dietary things, again, Mm -hmm. virtually zero dollars and zero cents. Yeah, and I think another thing to maybe address would be when people have a fairly large knee effusion, about thinking about potentially draining the effusion prior to putting the HA product inside. Yeah, another great point. So thanks for bringing that up. So why? So I think that the product would be significantly more dilute if there is a pretty large effusion. There may be also specific signaling within the effusion, especially when you're thinking about some of those abnormal inflammatory cells. The viscosity of that fluid will also be fairly different if you have a more dilute um, HA product within a much larger volume of solution. Correct. And... What else about a joint effusion that we talked about earlier that's negative? What, what happens when you develop a joint effusion? What happens to your quad muscle? Oh, right, yeah. It decreases the strength of the quadriceps. How? Activation is decreased. Yeah, there's a negative loop. That was done on uh, either residents or medical students where they infused, they did... Uh, EMG firing of the quadricep, and they infused larger and larger amounts of saline fluid into a knee joint, and noted that as you got beyond 20, 30 to 50 mLs, you started reducing the firing of the quad up to 50% of its prior capabilities, of its uh, prior um, EMG, maximal EMG force and, and also duration. So, and you'll often note that people who have chronic knee pain chronic effusions. If you look at their quad, they have quad atrophy. That's the, that's now you're getting into a death spiral, right? Because now you have less absorbency, abnormal biomechanics, further loading on the joint, the joint that's already sort of having a breakdown. 
and you got to try to reverse that pattern. So just absorbing, uh, just um, aspirating an effusion will have a positive effect in and of itself to the muscle firing pattern and also just taking all that stuff that has a lot of substances that are really not healthy for the, the joint, the articular cartilage and the synovial cells. And then if you can use other things to stimulate better environment within the joint and you, again activate the important muscles, the proximal muscle groups of the glutes and the, and the quad muscle, you really start reversing the disease and the disability from the disease, which is more of, a, of, a, uh, of an issue. Because then as you get those disease states, as you get more pain, as you get more swelling, as you get more loss of quad strength, as you get a diminished capability of bearing weight, you get people that become more and more sedentary. They become sedentary, they gain more weight, they get more systemic inflammation. Again, death spiral, if you will. So, but it's all reversible, all reversible if you look at all these really comprehensive things. And that's why in rehab, that's what we have, to, we have to think about, right? Too often in rehab, we get enamored and sucked into the shot itself, the ultrasound guided procedure. Fascinating, great, really good, much better than we would palpate around, much better, you know, and that was the other thing that, that would happen when I was a resident, when I was a young attending, we had no ultrasound. So we were delivering these things based on palpation. Sometimes we were in, Sometimes we weren't. And depending on the knee anatomy, that wasn't such a good thing. And some of those pseudoseptic reactions were related probably to injection into the soft tissue and not truly into the joint. So now we're blessed with being able to guide it, put it in the right spot, um, and ensuring that it, it's going where it needs to go. But that's not enough. That is just one component of looking at the whole thing comprehensively. So, so that's why, you know, um, you want to take advantage of all the good stuff of, of what's happening now, the new, but you don't want to forget all the great stuff that has been sitting in our specialty for a long, long time. Right? Good. Okay. Yeah. I think now everyone understands this better. Hopefully everybody else, hopefully all the residents can teach their attendings what happens with HAs, both in terms of properly uh, the name, what it is, um, and how it works. Okay. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. you guys did thank great. You. Thank you. I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and I appreciate your time. I hope this was informative and will benefit you in your medical education. Hope you all have a great day.